this day. Lord, we just commit it all to you. Spirit of living God, just minister this word through me today and open up every heart to receive what you would have them to receive. We thank you and we praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles with you today, I encourage you to turn with me to the parable of the lost son found in Luke chapter 15. The Lord has been speaking to my heart about this sonship issue. I can't get away from it. Every day I go into prayer, the Lord shows me more things about that. And he said this to me. He said, why are so many of my children rejecting their sonship? Through my son, I have given them everything that they could possibly need to be completely restored unto me. How many know that Jesus has come to save us unto the uttermost? What does that mean? That means that not only do we have a ticket to get into heaven when everything is said and done, but he wants us to bring heaven on earth while we're here. Right? He wants us to live in victory. He wants us to enjoy this abundant life that he's given us. Not only that, but because we are so full of the life of Jesus Christ that everybody around us is looking at us like, you are really weird. But weird in a good way, where they want what we have. Amen? We should be so full of Jesus and so attractive to the world that the world is, it just watches in awe. Remember I told you on the New Year's Eve service, the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, this year, 2022, is going to be a year of wonder. A year of awe. Where people that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ are going to watch the true sons of God come up and reveal the love of the Father like never before. Say, that's for me. I truly believe the Lord wants to show each and every one of us off before he says, Jesus, go get your bride. In Romans chapter 8, verse 19, for the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. All of creation is eagerly waiting. When are the sons of God going to step up and step out? <coughs> They're waiting for us. Amen. In Luke chapter 1, verse 17, it says, speaking of John the Baptist, and then Jesus coming, it says this, he, speaking of John the Baptist, will go before him, speaking of Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Amen. Amen. There's a reason why the spirit of Elijah is, is hovering over the church right now is moving in our lives and moving us out of the stale things of yesterday, the defeat and the discouragement and the lack and the disappointment. Come on, somebody. The spirit of Elijah is beginning to speak and move in our hearts, and he's saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent from the way that you've been thinking. Repent from the way that you've seen yourself. Repent, because the kingdom of God is here. It's not something that's going to happen tomorrow. It's here right now. It says twofold. To bring those who are disobedient to the Lord. That means those who have never made a decision for Jesus Christ. They're the sons of darkness. They don't know what it is 
to have an encounter with the Savior of light. Amen. But it's also to bring us, who are the children of God, back to a fresh, new revelation of our sonship in God through Jesus Christ. Because when you know your sonship, then you can draw upon the inheritance that Father God has given us, which is a very rich inheritance. Look at your neighbor and say, in Christ, I have everything that I need. Say it with conviction. With Christ, I have everything that I need. Paul wrote specifically about our sonship in the 8th chapter of Romans, and that's why I told you two weeks ago, I want you to read it every day. Every day, I want you to get Romans chapter 8 out, and I want you to read it, and 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 get it in your spirit over and over and over again till it becomes manifested in your life. But really, you'll find the theme of sonship with the Father through the Son woven throughout all of the Pauline epistles. Every church that Paul was able to begot or to birth, be it the church in Corinth, be it the church in Galatia, be it in Ephesus, be it in Philippi, be it in Thessalonica, if you read all those Pauline epistles, you will see woven within those verses this whole theme about sonship, sonship, sonship. Why do you think the early church walked in such power? Because they understood their union with Christ. They understood the connectedness that they had to have with the Father through their Son, Jesus. And the wonderful working of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit, a lot of us in the Pentecostal Charismatic Church, we look at it as, well, we want the Holy Spirit because it gives us power. Of course, we read that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you realize that it's more than just receiving the power of God, which is really great in and of itself, but really the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring Jesus to us and bring a revelation of the Father to us like we've never had before. Jesus told the disciples, up till now, you haven't prayed to the Father, but I'm going away now. And I'm giving you another comforter in the Holy Spirit. And then you'll be able to pray unto the Father. Because until you have a revelation of your sonship, you will not really have a powerful, effective prayer life. Without a revelation of sonship, you will not really worship in spirit and truth. Without a revelation of the sonship, you will not go out and and, and witness to anybody or tell anybody about Jesus. But once you get that revelation, it changes you. It's like, Clark Kent. He's just Clark Kent. Just a nerd. With those glasses. He goes into that phone booth and he comes out as Superman. Before Christ, we were just like Clark Kent, but now that we have Christ, now we're the supermen and women of God to go forth and to do great and mighty exploits for the Lord. I told you last week, let's look at slide one. Or it was... Was it last week? I can't remember. Last week was Mother's Day. It was the week before. I gave you 10 characteristics because I truly believe the thing that the devil has been trying to do through the years is to deceive us in believing that 
We're not really sons of God. And I gave you 10 characteristics. It shows up as what I call the orphan spirit. And the 10 characteristics, as we talked about, is review. People with an orphan spirit usually wrestle with continual feelings of condemnation. They don't feel like they're worth anything. They feel like they can never do anything right. They just feel like a failure all the time. Secondly, someone with this spirit feels insecure with God and others. They don't feel like they're at home. They can say all the right things, and they've learned the Christian ease, right? But inside, they're having turmoil because things are just not working out in their lives like they should. Number three, it leads those affected to interpret things in a negative light. The word that came today through our sister Medi, where the Lord said, blessing, you're a blessing, you're a blessing, you're a blessing. You've got to understand that you are a blessing. You were not created to just just take up space and not do anything for God, but every one of you are very special and precious in God's eyes. You are a blessing, and you are here to let that blessing of God's love come through you and to touch everybody around you. Those affected with an orphan spirit, they tend to have a low self-esteem and low self-worth. They don't feel like they're worth anything. What can God do with me? He could do it with so-and-so big shot TV preacher or internet guru, but he'll never use me. He'll use every one of us because every one of us is just as special as anyone who's written 10 books and it has a TV program. An orphan spirit is a blocking spirit because when you don't feel good about yourself, you start to complain, you start to murmur, which is the language of the devil. And all of a sudden, you're not feeding your faith, your spirit, but you're actually walking in the flesh and you're thinking of the futility because your focus is on you and it's not on who Jesus has made you. So there's a blocking spirit and you're praying for healing, but healing's not coming. You're praying for deliverance, but deliverance doesn't seem to come. You're praying for miracles, but nothing changes. Someone who has been influenced by this orphan spirit. Number six, there's a fear of rejection and not being healed or delivered. And this produces a tremendous unbelief that will provoke the person to start resisting God instead of receiving what God has for him, them. And what God has for us is love. He loves you. There's nothing that any one of you can do that will ever separate you from his love. Nothing, absolutely nothing. An orphan spirit will turn the hearts of fathers away from their children. Because they've never had that father modeled in their lives. They don't know how to give the affirmation. They don't know how to put the identity into their children that Father God has given them to see their children fulfill their destiny. And likewise, then what happens is because the children have that deficit of not having that father, then it turns the hearts of the children away from their fathers. They lose respect for the authority of the father. Number nine, those affected usually are not good at submitting to authority. Mm -mm. Because they've never had authority in their lives. So when authority shows up, it's just like, "Mm." no big deal. And then finally, number 10, those affected by an orphan spirit tend to have issues with addictions and self-control. Why? Because it's so painful to have these, these tendencies of an orphan. And God never, never, ever, ever puts you and I into a place where we are to live in a place of constant 
Condemnation. That's not God. And so what people will do is they'll try to mask that pain by turning to alcohol or turning to drugs or turning to sex or turning to food or turning to whatever because it just doesn't matter. They're just trying to find some peace and some wholeness in their lives. The sense of not measuring up and not feeling the love of the Heavenly Father wears on them. It's very painful, as I said earlier, to have these orphan tendencies. And I can guarantee you something. It is not God's will for any of us to have these tendencies whatsoever. Listen, and as I went through this really fast, because we we spent more time on it last time we we were on this, just going through them again, and, and all of a sudden, there's a tinge inside of you, and you can, you can relate to any of these 10 characteristics. I want you to know something. If you've given your heart to Jesus, you're still saved. Your name is still written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And beloved, God loves you, and he so cares for you. But there's a blot. There's a dark spot in your soul. And Father God wants that to be removed. The songs that we sang today were so fitting. Lord, tear down these walls that I've built up. Tear down these walls so I can have free access to you again, Father. Paul understood all of this. And he shares with us in, in, in Romans chapter 7, He says in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this orphan tendencies, this orphan spirit, this way that I'm feeling that I know is not right, but I don't know how to deal with it? He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, and that mind means the renewed mind. With the renewed mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the mind of the flesh, the law of sin. He goes on to say then in chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation. Say condemnation. Condemnation. Go Go. in Jesus' name. He says there's no more condemnation now to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For there's a new law. Say a new law. There's a new law that's working inside of us now. And it's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. It's a new law of life. What did Jesus say in John 10, 10? I came that they may have life and they may have it in abundance. That's the Lord's plan for us. That we would have so much life inside of us and so much in abundance that we truly would be peculiar. We truly would stand out in the community. How could a person be so happy? How could a person, you know, be at peace when everything's falling apart? How can a person be so generous? How can a person have such self-control? I told you this one time. When I was working at the Kaler, I had to train in a guy who was taking over my position. And that was a hectic job. The phone was ringing all the time. It was just crazy. Changes after changes. And one day, he said to me, he goes, 
He goes, I got to take you out to lunch. So we went out to lunch the next day, and he goes, you know what? I've been, I've been watching you. I've never heard a swear word come out of your mouth yet. And he goes, and I've been swearing for you the whole time I've been watching what you're doing. But see, there's a new law working inside of us once we become born again. And it's a law of life in Christ Jesus that has made us free from the law of sin and death. So then why would we want to go back to that law of sin and death? And yet the devil has come and has sold a bill of lies to too many in the body of Christ. Jesus reveals the orphan spirit in the parable of the prodigal son. I told you to go to Luke chapter 15, so you should all be there, right? Maybe. Are you guys awake today? Okay, I just want to make sure. All right, starting in verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and then... And there wasted his possessions on prodigal, or in other words, wasteful living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. In other words, he came up short, and he knew he, knew he was short. Then he went, and he joined himself to a, a citizen of that country, and he sent uh, him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to, and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to, this, said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put the ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother came, or your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. In this parable, both sons are influenced by this orphan spirit. 
Let's go to slide two. The main characteristic, I gave you 10 to start with, but the main characteristic of someone influenced by an orphan spirit is an overwhelming preoccupation with self. And it really begins when a believer, either a son or daughter of God, is deceived and conditioned in their thinking that this evil spirit, by this evil spirit, the Father God does not love them. And he doesn't accept them or affirm them. It's a real problem. Hallelujah. This parable that Jesus shares is a classic illustration of born-again believers who are saved, healed, and delivered. Yet like many in the, in the, in the church, they suffer from the effects of this demonic orphan spirit where self is the center, where people are constantly saying, give me, give me, Lord, touch me, Lord, bless me, Lord, fill me, Lord, satisfy me, Lord, entertain me, Lord, indulge me. Let's go to the next slide. How do we know someone is influenced by this spirit? According to what we just read in the parable of the lost, and we should just call it the lost sons because both of them were lost. We see it either through rebellion, say rebellion, or through religion, say religion. Rebellion is, is demonstrated in the younger son. The younger son, as you remember from what we just read, said to his father, he came to his father, and he said, Father, give me my portion of my inheritance. I want it now. I want it now. A rebellious son is an immature son. And when people in the church are rebelling, it's showing their immaturity. It's showing that they haven't reached that full, full uh, level of sonship. That revelation hasn't come yet. They're still operating a little bit in the flesh. They're immature. They're not ready to handle their inheritance yet because they haven't gone through the process, the process of being fathered. They think they know it all. They think they've arrived. They think that they can handle it. But as we read in the story that Jesus gave us, this younger son couldn't handle it, could he? Because he squandered his inheritance. He couldn't handle his inheritance. And so, he found that he was in want. And then he finally came to himself. But let's talk about, let's talk about religion for a second. The older son... He works to earn his father's love, not realizing that his, he already had his father's love. And in verse 28, he comes and he was angry and he wouldn't come in to celebrate the fact that his younger brother came home. He was angry, why? Because he didn't get it his way. And see, people that are caught up in a religious spirit they have a set of rules and regulations. And if somebody doesn't measure up to those rules or regulations, guess what? They're missing it. And because they don't measure up to those rules or regulation, then that person is really wrong. Because someone caught up with a religious spirit, again, they're preoccupied with themselves. And they take it as a personal attack that someone's coming against their personhood. 
A religious spirit I hate. A religious spirit is big in this area. Real big. And it causes division after division after division after division. Because when somebody doesn't get their way, then the ultimatum is, if I don't get my way, then I'm leaving. And it's the number one spirit that Jesus had to fight against when he was on this earth, and it's the number one spirit I fight against every time I come to church. And I'm not saying I've arrived either. The Lord's been showing me some things that I've been hanging on to that it isn't right either. Notice he couldn't even recognize his brother as his brother. He said, that son of yours. Someone who's caught up in a religious spirit, they have a hard time relating with other people. And if you have a hard time relating to other people, chances are your relationship with the Father isn't in in tune either. Because when the Father came to him and said, Son, come on, come on in, come on in. Because see, that's the heart of the Father. The Father's always pleading with us to get it right. The Father's father's heart is always, come on, son, come on, daughter, come on, just come to me, come on, I'm right here, I don't care, I don't care what what you've been doing, I don't care what's going on in your life, I still love you, and I want you to come to me. Someone caught up with a religious spirit, they're never able to celebrate with others. This older son, he wasn't able to come in. The father pleads for the older son to come into the house or the habitation and celebrate. And remember what I told you in this Hebrew year of 5,782. It is the year of the manifesting of the voice of the Lord. And the only way we're going to find the voice of the Lord because of what that Hebrew letter looks like is if we come into that shelter, into that habitation. You'll never get to know Father God as Father God until you get into that habitation with him. That means you've got to get shut in with him and allow him to begin to speak to you and to share things with you. The younger son represents people who run away from God, and the older represents many in the church who believe they are close to God, but they don't really know God. Both sons live as orphans with a poverty spirit, which is an overwhelming preoccupation with self. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, it says, There is one who scatters, yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. In the case of someone that's influenced by an orphan spirit, they withhold honor. They withhold honor from the Lord. They withhold honor to other people, either through rebellion or through religion. And the conversation goes like this. Inside they say this. Why isn't Father God blessing me? Why isn't Father God um, affirming me? Why isn't Father God celebrating me? Why doesn't Father God kill the fatted calf for me? Why isn't Father God answering my prayers? And when a child of God is overcome by the lies and the deception of this orphan spirit, they stay in a constant state of questioning God's willingness to bless them. That word they came today was of God. When she cried out from the spirit of the Lord, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. Father God wants you to know that you're blessed. Look at your neighbor and say you're blessed. God's willingness to bless us, to provide for us, to protect us, to promote us. Amen. 
Therefore, in their pain of rejection, they make this decision. And you might not verbalize it, but you might internalize this and make a vow within yourself that says this, if Father God is not going to bless me, then I am going to hold on to what I have and stop giving myself to God and to others. However, listen to this. Listen carefully. When you stop giving, you stop living. When you stop giving, you stop living. And that's what the devil wants. The devil wants the church apathetic. The devil wants the church just to stay into their four walls. The stupid pandemic garbage that came by and we had to isolate and everything like that. It was, it was right what the devil wanted. But we got to snap out of it, church, now. We got to come out of that, that thinking. Become like the Lord and start giving, giving, giving. And when you fall into that mindset where you, you just say, I'm not going to give anymore. It doesn't work anyway. I'm just going to hold on to this. You fall into what I call the sin trap. And you actually come into agreement with that demonic orphan spirit. Let's turn to slide six. I didn't want to teach on sin. I hate teaching on sin. But in Psalm 35 verse, or 32 verse 5, it says, the psalmist says this, I acknowledge my sin to you, to God, and did not cover up my iniquity, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. There's three areas. Sin is defined in three ways. Say three ways. Number one, sin. The definition of sin is basically just to miss the mark. What mark? The mark of righteousness that God has established in his word. And we never knew what sin was until the law came. But now that the law came, now and, and you read the law, do not commit murder, do not lie, do not steal, come on, do not covet, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Once it's presented to you, then you know because there's a measure of righteousness now that God has defined. This is what sin is. And anything that falls short of the glory of God is defined as sin, Romans 3.23. Transgression, on the other hand, refers to a presumptuous sin. To transgress is to choose intentionally, say, int say intentionally, intentionally to disobey. Transgression is willful trespassing. How many of you know that you can't transgress unless you're a born-again believer? Because if you're a child of dark, sin hasn't been defined yet. You just keep on sinning. You don't even realize you're sinning. But once the light of the glory of God has come, then you know because you've got that spirit of life in Christ Jesus now. Like it says in 1 John, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we sin, we can go to him. We can confess our sins and he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all of our sins. Right? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I know I messed up that verse, but you know what I'm talking about. So when someone's born again, it's a sin that you just do. You trespass. Like whether you're speeding, you're going down the road. I got to get to work. I'm running late. Oh, I'll just go a little bit over. But the speed limit says you're supposed to only go 30 and you're going 37. You're transgressing. Oh, you come to a stop sign. 
well, there's no one coming on the other side. I'm just going to just do a little rolling stop. I'm not really going to stop, right? You're transgressing. Oh, I'm just going to say a little lie. It's not going to hurt anybody. But you're transgressing, you see. But iniquity now, it's more deep-rooted than transgression. Iniquity refers to a premeditated, say premeditated. In other words, you've thought this through inside of you. Premeditated choice to commit iniquity is to continue without repentance. You decide in your heart, that person has done me wrong one last time. I am going to do this from now on. And it doesn't line up with scripture. It's not right. But you premeditate in your heart that this is what you're going to do. And you end up justifying it. Your heart becomes hardened now to the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit inside of you. Before, before you do something like that, he would, he would check you. And immediately you'd have to say, okay, yeah, sorry, Lord, and confess that. But when you give in to iniquity, your heart has become so hardened in that area, it doesn't phase you anymore because you've justified it. You've premeditated about it enough where it's become a new law for you. Let's go to the next slide. In Micah 2.1, it says, Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out. That word work out means to plan evil on their beds. Did you ever notice it's at night when you start thinking about these things, how you're going to get even with somebody? Come on, you guys are all angels, aren't you? But it's usually at night. If you allow that root to stay inside of you and you're not listening to the Holy Spirit now, you override the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, you're starting to, to justify now. Well, that person at home, if they only knew, right? And so on your bed, you're starting to devise this mindset. And at morning light, they practice it. Because you've been thinking about it all night. So as soon as you get up, man, you can't wait to get on the internet and bash them or, or something else. Because it's in the power of their hand. Now, God forgives iniquity, doesn't he? Say amen, somebody. God forgives sin. Say amen. God forgives transgression. Say amen. Hallelujah. In Hebrews 8, 12, it says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquity, that premeditated justification. Come on. I will remember no more. However, iniquity left unchecked leads to a state of willful sin. And then there's no fear of God. You've just gotten callous to that. And continued iniquity leads to unnatural affection, uh, uh, affections, yeah, which lead to a reprobate mind, as it says in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. I'll quickly turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Because this is a dangerous thing when we allow iniquity to remain in us. This is a dangerous thing. Starting in verse 21, Jesus is speaking here. And he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Who's going to make heaven? 
He who does the will of my Father in heaven. How are we going to know what his will is if we never get to know the Father? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, have done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness or you who practice iniquity. You could have confessed the prayer and asked Jesus to come into your life. You could have started out so powerful for the Lord and had a strong witness for him. You could have gone to church every Sunday. You could have sang in the choir. You could have been part of the worship team. You could have been on the, the, the usher ministry or worked in the nursery or worked with the children. You could have gone out and you could have fed the homeless. You could have gone to those that are, are incarcerated and visited them in prison. But yet, if you get to the point where you take up that sin, because sin really should not have dominion over you, but you're not walking in the spirit. You choose to walk after the flesh and you've been so wounded and you haven't given it to Jesus and you start justifying while you're hanging on to that darkness, let me tell you something. You can miss, he you can miss heaven. You can miss heaven as your home. I don't want to see anybody miss heaven. And the scary thing is those people that are caught up in rebellion or religion they think they have their relationship intact with the Lord. And unless he is Lord, notice they're pleading to him, Lord, Lord. <laughs> and he said, I never knew you. They never took the time to get to know and have a loving relationship with the Father. That's why I'm saying, church, we have to get back into having an intimate relationship with him. That's why we're going back to Wednesday nights. That's why we're going to have soaking services, because we need to find that, that intimacy with the Father again. It is so imperative that we find that place, because if we don't find that place, I'm telling you, we're going to dry up. We're, we might even miss heaven, and I don't want anybody to miss heaven in this house. We know that the younger son does realize the error of his ways. But the older son in this parable, he continues to try to work his way to earn his father's love. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have to work your way. All you need to do is just fall in love with Father God again. Rebellion and religion are the two main ways that this orphan spirit manifests and it manifests because you don't understand your security in the Father. You haven't come to that place to receive his loving embrace. In most churches, we believe that we're saved by grace and Jesus has paid it all. And we can be free from judgment and sin, and that's so true. But listen to me, what religion does, it takes the attention off the cross. And the attention comes on us again, a preoccupation with us. And all the things that we have to do to receive the love of the Father. But Jesus went to the cross for us, didn't he? 
didn't he? He went to the cross not only to bring us to heaven, but to bring heaven down to us. Jesus said, I am the way. He is the way to the Father. He said, I am the truth. Jesus is the truth about the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and me are one. And he said, I am the life. Jesus came to give us abundant life. And he continues to give us that abundant life every day. Jesus said in John 14, 18, and I'm finishing up. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. That's what Jesus said. I won't leave you as orphans. I love you too much. I love you too much to see you stay in this place of defeat and frustration and lack. I have so much more for you. Jesus came to deliver us, to set us free. What was the secret of the Holy Spirit coming and remaining on Jesus when he came up out of those baptism waters? It was for the Father to speak over him and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Father God is saying that to each and every one of us. Because in sonship there isn't gender. And he's speaking over all of us and he's saying, look, you are my beloved son and I'm so pleased with you. I love you. I desire to have a relationship with you. I desire to show myself faithful and true to you. In the parable of the lost son, I'm going to finish with this, I promise you. When the younger son comes home because he came to the end of himself, and that's what it's going to take, you guys, is for us to come to the end of ourselves and realize that we can't live this holy, righteous life without that revelation of being a son. What did the father say to the servants? They said, first of all, bring the best robe. The robe represents identity. Father God is saying, come to me. Come back home and I'm going to give you a fresh new identity of who you are in me. Secondly, he said, put the ring on his hand. That ring represents authority. Church, we are going to walk in such authority like we've never seen before. Demons are going to be shaking and coming out of people and screaming and manifesting as we walk down the street because we have the authority of the Father in us. He said, put sandals on his feet. What does that mean? That means our destiny is restored. Maybe some of us have gotten off of our path a little bit. Just come back to the Father. He'll put you right back on that path. And you will fulfill your destiny in Christ. And number four, the Father said, bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. That's speaking of Father God and his affirmation over you. And the very fact that he's celebrating over you because he's so proud of you and he so loves you. That word that came, you are blessed, you are blessed, you are blessed. This is what this is all about. Because when you understand that you are a blessing, then you'll start giving out of that blessing. Blessing. 
Amen? Please stand to your feet. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for today. Thank you for speaking to our hearts and bringing reality back into our lives, bringing the truth back to our lives, Lord. It seems so simple, and it is simple. But Lord, unless we're walking in the full liberty of you, we don't understand our sonship, our position in you. Lift your hands towards me. Father, bless each one in this house. Bless them, my God, beyond measure. Transform each and every one of our hearts, my God. Remove any and all orphan thinking that there would possibly be in any one of us, my God. We renounce it. We repent of it, and we declare, Father, that you are our loving Father. We're coming to the end of ourselves, my God, in this hour, and we're recognizing, Lord, that apart from you, we can do nothing. But with you, my God, truly all things are possible because we believe. I thank you, God, that you are raising up a mighty army of sons that understand their inheritance in you, that are going forth because of that place of inheritance and being world changers in their sphere of influence. I bless them, Father. I cover them in the blood of Jesus. I thank you that no weapon formed against any one of us can prosper. I thank you, my God, that you just give us all a glimpse of your amazing, unfailing love that you have for us as we're accepted in you, the beloved. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a blessed week.